I'm here with uh, Debbie Capen, who is the executive director of Mira Via, and it's a maternity home for uh, college students on the campus of Belmont Abbey in Charlotte area, North Carolina. And um, and I, we we're excited to have you on the show because um, as I mentioned in the show, you know, those of us who do a lot of preaching, talks, and marches, and sometimes we get criticized for not uh, doing enough on the ground, boots on the ground work to help young women. And you're one of the groups out there doing that. <laughs> Tell us about your organization. Yeah, thank you, Father, mm -hmm. for having me. Um, Mirvia uh, started in 1994 as a traditional maternity home in Charlotte, North Carolina. And along the way, during some long range planning, the board of directors looked at who needs to be served and, and who's falling through the cracks. And surprisingly, it was college students. Do you know numbers on that? Like how many? Well, I can tell you that of women who are having abortions, the majority are college age. Mm. And then of those who tell why they're having an abortion, 75% say it's because the baby will interfere with school or work. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it, of course, hits minority groups and the poor hard as well, right? The abortion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, interrupted you, but your organization then is to reach out to these young women, and uh, you have a maternity home on the campus, right, of Belmont Abbey? We do. Mm -hmm. um, they were generous enough to donate the land. We built the facility and operated, and, and people often ask, well, is it just for Belmont Abbey college students? And the answer is no. Our moms have come so far from eight different colleges, yeah. um, six different states, mm -hmm. um, and that just shows what a need there is, that we've become a destination. Hmm. And one of your challenges you talk about is getting the word out there. So you know, maybe this would help um, do that. But so describe your facility and the structure and what you're doing there. Yeah. So it's a large facility. We can house up to 15 moms and their children. Um, the moms can stay with us until their child turns two years old. Um, every mom has her own uh, bedroom and bathroom suite with a little kitchenette, um, but we do have community meals. We really strive to build community amongst our residents and staff. Um, we have a chapel on site um, with our Lord in the tabernacle, so we're blessed to have mass there fairly regularly. Um, and it really is a beautiful facility. We're very proud of it. Yeah, and kudos to Belmont Abbey for giving you all the land and and offering the sacraments for you all, I assume. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the yeah. students there are super supportive. They come and they volunteer. The yeah. faculty is supportive. They, you know, if one of our moms needs extra time or has to change the date for a test or needs to bring a baby with them to class, right. you know, right. they're, uh, and we even have a lot of times the, the classes will show, will throw baby showers for the moms. Mm. It, it really has become this, this beautiful oasis of, of pro-life culture. Right. And so how long do they usually stay with you all there? They can stay until the child is two. They can certainly leave any time before that if that's, you know, if they're graduating. Um, and, you know, the average stays at least a year. Most of them will, especially if they're not a junior, will stay for the full time. Um, and during that time, we're helping them to make a plan for what's going to happen when they leave Maravilla. We have a professional case manager that meets weekly with each resident, and they're mm -hmm. working on their goals and figuring out what they need to do to be independent. So 
again, like you're reaching out to college students who have a, I guess we'd say unwanted pregnancy or unplanned, unplanned yeah. pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And are they, their typical resident would be someone that's pretty goal oriented and had big dreams and. Yeah, I think every college student has this picture in their mind of what their college experience is gonna be like. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of us know that there's there's also a lot of things that happen in colleges mm -hmm. that things that um, I hope that, uh, you know, I, I did some of it and I hope my children never do. <laughs> um, right. and, and so from that, you know, these pregnancies arise and they uh -huh. really have nowhere to go. Yeah, so a number of them, their families didn't really support them or? It's a mix. It really mm -hmm. is. Um, a family might be very supportive, but it's not a good situation for them to move back home or they're, um, uh, they need to stay where they are in school uh -huh. and can't do that. And then unfortunately, we do have those situations where there are families that are not supportive and they come to us because that's their only choice. And how, what do they tell you about like the pressures they feel mm -hmm. in their situation? Yeah. It's a culture of that babies are not part of the plan at this age. And so when this happens, it's almost an expectation that they would choose abortion. Um, because it's legal, then it must be okay to do. Mm -hmm. um, but just to turn that around, we had one resident who she was a, a college athlete and her teammates later told her that they were pro-choice before they saw her journey. And mm. just by seeing her and her journey and her joy of being a mother and, and getting to know her son, they changed their position. Wow. And that's it. I mean, people just need to see it. Yeah. yeah. So she was from another university, but she would still stay connected to her friends? Or but she actually was um, local um, was. to the area. Okay. and Because Charlotte has, you said eight yes. colleges. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's it. It seems like the, the other side is more effective in their mess, getting their word out there right. <laughs> that, uh, than we are. Yeah, I think that there's this huge lie that a baby will ruin someone's life or that uh, they can't do it. Right. And people are capable. They just need support. It's not a crisis if you have support. It's only a crisis when you don't have support. Right. And, and then some of our moms do make an adoption plan. Some do... Um, do make that decision too, and we fully support, you know, both either parenting or making a parenting plan through mm -hmm. adoption. And is that is that harder, like if they have the baby a while, or is it is something you have to do soon after birth, or the placing? Uh, yeah, it? the placing. Yeah, and and they make a plan throughout their pregnancy um, of, of, through an adoption agency and mm -hmm. and choosing the family and those types of things and and we provide a lot of the counseling and support. Right. to help them because it is, it's not an easy yeah. um, journey. Um, yeah. But like I said, a part what everybody needs in this, in this world is, is their own little village, their own support right. and love. Right. And that's what we do. Are there some favorite stories you have of, oh, that gosh. you've seen? Because <laughs> you've, you've worked for the organization for how long? Yeah, uh, it'll be uh, almost 12 years. 12 years, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you uh, about our very first resident who ever moved in. Um, she was at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte and found out she was pregnant. She went to the health center 
and they gave her a packet of information. So, you know, kind of like, here's what you can do mm -hmm. if you're pregnant. And of course, uh, the abortion clinics were in there. Uh, but our brochure was in there too. Oh, wow. And so she called us because she had never heard of us and wasn't really sure what all we did. And, and later on, she actually told us, uh, you sounded too good to be true. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she, she came and she lived at Miravia, gave birth, she graduated. Um, and now she's married, um, just left OCS. She's a, a, an officer in the army. Mm. Um, and she always said like, no one else was there for me. I just, I needed someone to be there for me and, and then I could figure it out. Mm. So that's, that's kind of the theme, right? Being supported and not mm -hmm. feeling alone. And, yeah. and your, part of your own story is that uh, you had an abortion in college and uh, could you talk about maybe like your thinking going into that and your experience mm -hmm. of that? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. I always thought I was pro-life. Um, and then in college, I got caught up in a lot of the trappings of, of that culture and found out that I was pregnant right before going back to school my junior year. And it wasn't with someone that I was in a long-term relationship with. And I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. Um, and once I got back to my dorm, I thought, okay, well, I'll go to the health center here on campus and maybe they can help. Mm -hmm. And I, I went in and I asked for a pregnancy test and the woman behind the counter just said, oh, well, have you already taken one? And I said, mm -hmm. well, yeah. And she said, well, then you don't need one from us. You're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That was all she said to me. And I, I wasn't sure what to do or where to go. And she could tell that I was a little bit dumbstruck. And so she said, well, here, I'll, if you want to talk to somebody, we'll have a nurse come talk to you. And the nurse came and sat with me in the waiting room, no privacy, mm -hmm. and, and told me that I could look up abortion in the yellow pages. Mm. I'm dating myself a little bit there, <laughs> but um, so, and that's, that's what I did. And I was too scared to disappoint my family to tell them. And, you know, it's a shocking statistic that of women who are having abortion, 24% are Catholic mm. um, that are having abortions. And although Miravia serves women of all faiths, mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important for us to realize that this is happening in our own homes and in our own communities. And so we have to be that answer that wasn't there for me at the time. And it was um, a horrible experience. And um, it took me years. I kind of stuffed it away like a lot of women did. I just stopped, didn't think about it. Um, but then over time, once God was calling me back to him, I realized that I couldn't ignore it anymore and that it was something I had to face. And through the gift of the Sacrament of Reconciliation and Rachel's Vineyard, um, I was able to receive the healing that, that only God can give. Yeah. And was there an aspect or component of the Rachel's Vineyard that really helped you? Was it having other women there? That Yeah, I think it reminded me, first of all, of course, of, of God's divine mercy, um, that it's, one of, it's, it's such a grave sin that it feels unforgivable. And to be reminded that there's, there's, that God is bigger than that sin. Um, and it, it's something I think that a lot of post-abortive women need to hear over and over again too, because it is, mm -hmm. it is such a difficult um, thing and, and the grief and to know that, you know, I would have a child here who um, um, is not here. Um, 
but I think what Rachel's Vineyard provides is this this safe place to go and talk about it. And it's where it's not a, a conversation that you would normally have. Mm-hmm. And through the sacraments that they provide at the retreat and the and the conversations and the healing, I I can't recommend it highly enough. Do you think it like in just seeking confession and God's mercy? And I mean, do you think it was like a it was very important that when you were growing up, maybe you were taught pro-life teaching, or was it something you just kind of knew that, hey, I know this is a child? Yeah. Um, I think that we're much wiser when we're younger than when we're kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. say, you know, oh, that's a baby. And yeah. I think that a lot of times we get caught up in the rhetoric and the euphemisms, um, and then we're able to rationalize a lot of things that are, are clear as day when right. we're kids. Right. Um, and I think that's what happened to me is, honestly, I just remember thinking, I don't, I don't want to be pregnant. This can't be true. And so right. then you listen to the voices that are telling you what you want to hear. Oh, right. right. Mm-hmm. And now in, in serving like uh, these young mothers, has that been a great source of healing for you? And uh, Tremendously. It's such a gift, and it, again, it reminds me of God's mercy that that He's allowed me to be a part of the solution that wasn't there when when I was pregnant in school. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought, oh, if I can just help one person, it would be so worth it. And now to you know have helped dozens of mm-hmm. of, of college women, you know, God cannot be outdone in His His mercy right, and generosity. Right. And, and yet, to me, though, too, it, it strikes me as like a humble work, you know, that um, you're not like part of a big or- an organization that's huge numbers, mm-hmm. but just helping the one, the handful, mm-hmm. that's satisfying. It is. And we don't see it. But if you think of the generations to come that it affects and yeah. to, you know, for how many generations that this one person that is here and might not have been otherwise how many hundreds of lives that will affect. Right. Um, yeah. And do you think about, too, how God draws good out of evil? You know, Romans eight twenty eight. all things work to the good for those who love him. That, you know, God can use all of our stories, right? Mm-hmm. Even weakness, brokenness to help somebody else. I find that a lot. I think that people return to that place of pain in their life because they want to help others. And there's, I don't think there's anything quite like talking to someone who really knows your pain or knows what you're going mm-hmm. through, that there's that empathy component, so not just sympathy, but empathy, um, that I think we're all called to, to do that in some way. Right. What do you see on the, the pro-life movement scene? I know you're, I'm sure you're connected to other maternity homes and even health clinics i know that's growing too like Mm -hmm. a catholic organizations that'll provide a lot of health services for the women Mm -hmm. you know kind of opposed to the planned parenthood model but what do you see on that that front (laughs) yeah i i see a wave of um i think that we're coming to a point now where people understand what needs to be done and not Uh just talking about it right but creating these practical solutions. You know, um, Miravi is at Belmont Abbey, but now there's other organizations. There's um, there's an organization called Baby Steps at Auburn University that is providing help. Um, there's um, 
Do they actually have a home? They do. They do uh -huh. have a home. It's not officially part of the, the university, uh -huh. but they're adjacent to, to the school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so there's organizations like that that are, that are popping up. And um, I, I think that we're understanding that we have to provide those tangible, real-life solutions. I, I, I'm not good with scripture, but was it, you know, if you tell a man, oh, to be well and, 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 and you don't feed him, mm -hmm. what, what good does that right, do? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, just um, yeah, our witness and even just our own spiritual life, you know, we need to be giving and serving. Um, and what about uh, even on the like kind of like secular feminism, do you see a, a a growing pro-life movement there? Yeah. It was actually the studies done by Feminists for Life that inspired this work. Like they did a study um, called Perception is Reality that showed that there were no resources, practically no resources for pregnant college students. Mm. And, you know, that is an important because universities think of themselves often at you know, secular universities as these, you know, that they're enlightened and know how to help people and want to help the, the least of these and, and the most right. vulnerable, and yet they completely ignore the, the women that are suffering um, on their campuses. Do you have personal inspirations, like maybe people you've met in the pro-life movement that uh, energize you or inspire you? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, of course, most recently, I think like a lot of us, Abby Johnson um, and, and her work, her, her film Unplanned was so raw and real and uh, to the point it was difficult to, to watch. Right. Um, but people like that that are coming out and, and brave, you know, Jason Jones, um, yeah. uh, you know, Father Frank Pavone, you know, everybody yeah. here at EWTN, yeah. it's, it's yeah. these people that aren't afraid to, to say the truth. Right. What would be, uh, as one working in the vineyard here in this area, what could people do at home to support you all, to help you all? Yeah, I, I always say like no one, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Like look around and see what's going on in your own communities. There's probably a, a, a crisis pregnancy center. There's probably a maternity home. There's national organizations that, that need support. And, to, you know, strengthen numbers, you know, get behind and push, you know, mm -hmm. these organizations that are out there might be struggling and, and, and to do it. And, and I always say, too, don't forget to have the conversations in our own personal lives with our family and coworkers, because we never know when someone might need this type of service or something that we say might plant that seed that will change their perception, you know? And mm -hmm. I think one thing that I, I always say is it all has to be done with love too. You know, this is a very divisive topic that, you know, it's, it's a horrible issue because it's so violent and, and evil that we get really passionate that sometimes we forget to just stop and love each other through it too. And, right. um, you know, uh, one of the first things I did off after my Rachel's Vineyard retreat is I realized like my bumper stickers that I had on my car, the woman behind me could be post-abortive and not have gone through healing. And so I think we have to remember to say our message in love because there are so many post-abortive people out there right. um, that, that that's what we can do in our own lives. Yeah, yeah I've, I've become much more aware of that too as when I preach on these issues to, yeah, to think about how people are hearing it, what their experiences are and, and the suffering of, you know, not just the woman that had the abortion, but maybe family members that encourage them. And that could be a real, 
yeah. regret. And I, I was at an event not long ago, and, and a man walked up to me after I spoke about Miravia, and he came up to me and he said, you know, I've paid for two abortions. Yeah. And he goes, and I realize now that I was so selfish and all I cared about was how that baby would impact me. Right. Um, and so that's... It, it really is ne everywhere next to us in our pew or in our family or yeah. in our office. It's it's everywhere. Yeah. What about uh, your own personal journey? Um, came back to the faith, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, college kind of detoured you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about that story. Well, so I did. I, I joked that I looked like the poster child at first for Planned Parenthood. You know, I... I, I finished my college degree. I had a great job. Um, everything on the outside looked like it was perfect. Um, but the Holy Spirit didn't give up on me. And I, he, I felt this gnawing in my spirit that I knew that I needed to return to God. I knew that, that my life was not aiming towards the eternal. Yeah. And and so not knowing where to begin, I literally went into my nightstand. I still had the the rosary that I had received at my first communion, and I, I got that out, and I tried to remember how to pray it. And, you know, I really feel like the Blessed Mother took it from there and um, and brought me back to the faith. And I started praying for my who, the man who's now my husband, and, and he's come to the faith and uh, come back to the faith, I should say. Um, and it just shows the power of, of prayer and, and God's mercy ready to, to bring us back into the fold. Right. And now you have today you have seven kids. Yes, we have seven children. Your oldest is eighteen, and 18. the youngest is three. And yeah. yeah, so it's a loud, messy house, but lots of fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you're working for a nonprofit, right? You left the corporate yes. world, and yes, I did. I was, yeah. um, and it's funny, EWTN kind of played a part in that as well. I was, I was discerning whether or not to to. Um, take a position. I was approached by Miravia and, and um, I interviewed and my heart said yes, like I really wanted to, to do this. Um, and uh, I had EWT on and, and Father Benedict Rochelle was on his show and he looked straight at the camera and, and, he's, and he said, if there's anything that you can do to help a pro-life organization, you should do it. <laughs> mm, <wow. laughs> I felt like you know I, I had better listen to that cue <laughs> and prayed about it and and uh, and sure enough my husband was super supportive we really see you know I, I felt like if God asked me to to become a missionary and move to Africa would I say no to him of course I wouldn't and so why is it so hard then to become a missionary right in our own backyard right, yeah. right. how do you think it's you think it's blessed your own kids seeing you work in the vineyard like that directly I, i'd like to think so <laughs> i'd like to think so and it's um you know one of the hardest parts is um is sharing this with them when they become a certain age and, and telling them about my own history mm -hmm. um because i care so much about their feelings and don't you know the last thing i want to do is hurt them mm -hmm. um, but my oldest just told me the other day that she was sharing you know what i do in my own story with one of her friends and mm -hmm. her friend literally said Wow, I was I'm was per choice, but that changes everything. Mm. Wow. Yes. What do you think? Um, some of those pressures on women today. We talked a little bit about, about this before, but um, it just seemed like you know, our culture is so distorted and so many bad messages, and you know men aren't doing well. <laughs> to put it mildly, and, 
and women seem like we're endlessly talking about the vocation and call of women. Do you do you see what would you tell young women out there? They're in college about their um, like what the faith tells them or teaches them and you know, to contradict some of the mm-hmm. errors they're hearing. Yeah. Because you're working with young women. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think what we have lost sight of is the joy in our complementarity compliment, of, mm-hmm. of male and female and and that there's so much pressure now to 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 be everything to do everything um that we lose sight of the fact that we were made in a relational aspect you know mm-hmm. and and so to to not put off those that search for you know if you if you have a vocation um for marriage to consider that and and to not be so focused on, you know, that, well, and, and the true for men too, you know, not mm-hmm. just for women, but um, I think that we've put so much focus on, on our own careers and our own lives. And when we got to make it, we got to go to this school and we got to get this job that we lose sight of the fact that, that we're part of a kingdom, God's kingdom mm-hmm. and, and to look beside us and, and to understand how we can make the world a better place. Right. Yeah. It seems like I hear Protestants talk about this more, too but just like discerning the vocation and but then also taking steps you know to you know like what am i how am i getting closer to i mean we tell like guys discerning the priesthood well go visit communities go visit the diocese make a retreat you know instead of endlessly discerning waiting for some kind of sign you know take a step and i i think with marriage too it's like you i heard one Minister, Protestant ministers say, you know, unless you're planning on marrying the UPS guy, you got to get out there, <laughs> meet people, and everything. You know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think part of that, you know, and I, I've heard too. We, I remember, I was struck by uh, we had a, a young adults leader. She was basically just organizing a young adults group in the D.C. area, and they have like the highest concentration of young people in the country, and. So she's around faithful Catholics and everything. She desperately wants to get married, but all these guys are afraid because of financial concerns. Mm-hmm. You know, their career's not following, you know, how we're going to provide for this, and mm-hmm. they're not ready to, right. and she's like trying to shake them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it, we've just put so much focus on success as opposed to faithfulness, you yeah. know, and that God has a plan for each of us, and we've got to be more focused on what God's will is for us, whether it's the vocation of the religious life or married life, as opposed to what we think is going to make us happy and make the world think better of us. Right. Maybe just close with this question too. You, you're around the the Benedictine monks, mm-hmm. and you have priests from the diocese of Charlotte helping you out, offering mass for you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about like maybe their role, or maybe what the young women can get from them or look for yeah, from them? Absolutely. I, one of the beautiful things I think about uh, the charism the Benedictines have is they, instead of going, you know out into the world, they try to create a sacred space that the world can come into. And there's a need for both of the sides of the coin. But so I think that being in that, that, that beautiful atmosphere of the school where faith comes first, that you can't help but be affected by it. Mm -hmm. 
And our residents always say just how peaceful it is and that mm -hmm. they can't put their finger on it at first of why it's so peaceful there and why they feel so mm -hmm. good being there. Um, but it's God's presence. And, and mm -hmm. the, we're so blessed to have a very vibrant diocese there in Charlotte um, with uh, the priests who are super supportive of our mission. Um, we have, um, you know, um, Father uh, Benjamin Roberts who comes and will hear confessions, you know, and, and, and provide that kind of spiritual counseling as well. And the Daughters of the Virgin Mother, which is an order that um, they volunteer at Miravia. It, it really shows, I think it's a, a culture shock at first when they come in and I'm like, oh, wow, look at, you know, all these people following God, you know. Right, right. And in the end, they, you know, we do exit surveys when they leave. Yeah. And that's always one of the number one things is that talking about how it impacted their spiritual life and their faith. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your work and mm -hmm. coming down and doing the show for us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.